Well, uh, hey, Mike. Hey, Colin. Welcome to the podcast. Yes. It's a podcast. It still is. 57. Um, let's start out talking about Bitcoin Sync. We talked about it last time. Yes. And it's still working and we're still quite happy with it. Are you wearing your hat right now? Oh, I should be wearing my hat. I feel like hat. the biggest problem with doing a podcast is people can't see your funny new hat. I'm not wearing my hat, but I should be. It's no. in the other room. Oh. Do me a favor and, and try to sound like you're wearing your hat. Okay. I, well. Can we post a picture of your hat? I'd be happy to post a picture. Okay. It, mostly when I wear the hat, I talk like um, like Cagney. Yeah. Don't try to sound like that. Try not to sound mm, like that. Coppers, eh? Mm, that's, that's my... Yeah, try not to sound like that. Hey, dame. Um, I'm just going to do a podcast like that. That'd make you happy. So we put out an app called Bitbox. It's on GitHub. It lets you share content from BitTorrent Sync onto the web. Right, because it won't do that, right? Right. I mean, BitTorrent Sync inherently is a an app you run that syncs between your computers. Um, it doesn't have any sort of other way to get content out. It just you know writes files to folders, and um, they released an API which let us throw together a quick little uh, PHP app that can pull files out of the BitTorrent sync sort of cloud, sync them to a server, and then share them via unique URLs on the web. Um, so and, what are we going to use this for now that we have it? Well, so one of the ways that I use Dropbox, uh, you know, we've talked about our main use for BitTorrent sync, which is keeping our big corpus of test files in sync between our locations. Um, one of the ways I use Dropbox is when I need to, for example, send someone a beta of Scopebox. Um, it's a little too large to attach to an email um, within our support system or just in, in sort of polite conversation. It's an um, email, yeah. yeah. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll zip it and throw it on Dropbox and then share a link, uh, which works fine. But um, as we move towards, you know, moving away from Dropbox a bit, it seemed like, you know, this was a logical way to, to move to sharing those out, um, and it gives us a little bit more control over, you know, keeping track of how many people download something and, um, you know, swapping stuff in place if we need to. And um, there's also, I've already had one case where um, a customer had sent us a file. Um, uh, they were working with ClipRap, and they sent us a test MTS file because when they converted it to ProRes on their computer, it wasn't playing properly. And I was able to convert the file here to ProRes, and it was a 900 meg file or something, and, and throw it in BitTorrent Sync um, and share it out that way. And, and that would have been you know, taken up a good chunk of my available Dropbox quota, whereas with sure. BitTorrent Sync, our only storage limitations are how much space we have on our server. Right. So how is this working? So if there's no, way, if there's no place where all these files exist, so, you're just... So we have two web servers that we use for our website and file hosting and the store and everything else. And so these are getting synced to there? Yeah, um, more or less. So BitTorrent has a Linux client. Um, our servers are, are Ubuntu machines. And BitTorrent Sync. What? Yeah, BitTorrent, sorry. Um, and BitTorrent. they have a um, an API as well. And so... The cool thing about the API, so normally the normal mode of operation with BitTorrent Sync is that it keeps a folder in sync between all of your clients, which means that all files exist on every machine that is joined to that folder, um, which is you know potentially problematic because our servers don't have as much storage as like 
you know, FireWire drives hanging off of our computers. Um, but their API lets you do something called selective sync, where it only synchronizes the files you request. And so what happens is, in Bitbox, you say you see a list of all of your files, and you click share. And that triggers a synchronization, and then BitTorrent Sync goes out to the other machines that have that folder and asks for chunks. Um, if all of our machines happen to be offline when you did that, it wouldn't um, be able to download those files. It would just sure. you know keep waiting until one of those machines came online. But okay. uh, you know the advantage is you don't have to synchronize everything in that folder to the server. And so, yeah, for the most part, I've just playing, been playing devil's advocate. I've known these things, but now I actually have a real question. Will it, so it'll then keep that file in sync yeah. after that? Yep. Okay, so if we change, if we put a different zip there, it'll it'll upload that in its place? Um, it depends. So it, it, I actually should check that because I don't think that um, if the hash changes... No, I guess it would keep it in sync. Uh, so it does it based on file name or something? Yeah, I'm trying to think if you delete the file and then put a new file with the same name in place, I'm not sure if it would sync that file. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's. I would assume so because there's not really. Yeah, a difference otherwise at a file system level. Um, but I will have to look into that. Huh. But definitely, if you change a file or something, once it's set to sync, it's going to be kept in sync across server the servers. Cool. Um. So yeah. Um. We it's open source. If anyone wants to contribute, uh, feel free. There's certainly other things that it could do, but. Uh, it's sort of serving our use case now, so we'll leave it there for now. Yeah, cool. Um, what exciting stuff in the world. I want to jump forward a little bit. I want to talk about Bitcoin, okay? Um, okay. I don't... I can't well, shake this feeling that, like, I've missed out. Like this You've missed out on what? Bitcoin. On the... Well, the gold rush... On the investment, not the currency. Right. It's like, is, is Bitcoin a real thing? It's, a, it's an investment. But, I mean, is it really? Like, I, 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 there was a story this week about a guy who, like, when Bitcoin first came out, he sort of for fun bought $50 worth of Bitcoin, and now it's worth, and he just cashed it out for a million dollars. Right. That's a pretty good turnaround in five years. Not bad. And it's like, well, I was on the internet five years ago, but Bitcoin looked like a sort of thing for, you know, you couldn't even use it to get any physical goods then. It was just for, like, crazy people. I don't know. Right. Should I feel bad about this? I don't know. Do you feel bad about not buying all the penny stocks they email you about every week? I mean, some of them have probably not gone completely out of existence. Hmm. I mean, you know, it's not a, it's not what they tried to sell you on years five years ago. It's not a currency, and it's definitely not, you know, it's it's an investment, and it's an incredibly volatile one. And if you bought into the idea of a stable currency and are pleasantly surprised that it wasn't a stable currency, then great. But you can't feel like you made a mistake by not doing that. Hmm. Because it's not anything like what... I mean, I have to... I don't know. This is one of the things I was thinking about today. Is is the guy who invented it disappointed? Because it, it can't ever become the thing he wanted it to become at this point. Why do you right? think... It, I mean, why do you because think Because you can't have a currency that fluctuates that much. 
Right, but and the fact that the markets are getting interested in it means there's even less chance of it ever becoming that. Hmm. Because they because they want volatility. That's yeah. how they make money. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no point where this is ever going to get more stable. I don't think. Hmm. And so you're not going to put money. I mean, anyone who puts converts U.S. dollars into bitcoins, you know. They have to want only one thing, which is to get more U.S. dollars out later. Right. Which is not what you do. That's not the point of a currency. Yeah. The point of a currency is you put your money there because you want to spend it there, and later you want to be able to convert it back to the same, roughly the same amount of money in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, the flip side is that there is a sort of, um, you know, there are transactions being done via Bitcoin where things are priced in fractions of bitcoins and it seems like within that right. space it's relatively stable right you know that's you're... because they're pricing everything in dollars not in bitcoins are they though i mean like when you go to buy um you know heroin on on silk road do you buy it in dollars or do you buy it in bitcoins i mean do you think you're really buying it in one bitcoin like you were five years ago i don't know i have to imagine that it's the, there the prices huge deflationary pressure Hmm. I don't know. I haven't gone looking for... Because you're not mining bitcoins to buy heroin. You're converting your currency into that. Right. That's true. And so there's no way you're going to pay 5,000 times as much money now for heroin as you did five years ago. Right. Like, there are better places to get heroin. You don't have to pay $5,000 for what you were paying a buck last year. Yeah. I mean... um, I, I was reading a little bit this morning about the Bitcoin mining, the the world of Bitcoin mining. I actually ran into someone at a um, bar a few weeks ago whose husband like has a Bitcoin mining rig in their basement, which struck me as a little odd. But wow. because there's dedicated hardware being sold now for this purpose, um, yes, both like FPGAs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's ASICs, and then someone just released a motherboard that has um, this design to run six GPUs with enough power to support them and um, specifically for Bitcoin mining as well. And then there's mm-hmm. like online calculators where you can say, you know, given your performance and how much power costs and everything else, what's your payback, if anything, on some of these systems. Right. Um, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, But it's at the same time, it seems why? Like, like, I don't understand the. There seems to be a disconnect here, which is you, you say, wow, look at all these people who've made crazy amounts of money on Bitcoin because it's gone up 5,000 times, you know? Or what you mean? I just keep using that number, but That's I, about, do you I mean, know the real number? Well, I mean, it started at being worth zero. And now it's worth five hundred dollars. Well, no, Bitcoin. it used to be worth whatever. I mean, it, you know, when it first got priced, that. it was priced at like a penny per per Bitcoin, basically. Okay, so yeah, so infinitely more expensive now. I mean, the first the first item sold on Bitcoin, I believe, was a pizza for ten thousand Bitcoins. Okay, so yeah, so okay, so lots of people have gotten rich off this, right? But they didn't get rich by mining them. Well, those initial people did. Well, no. 
Not really. What do you mean? They didn't because. Okay, so let's let's do this. Okay, gold rush. It's coming, right? Another gold rush is going to be out here in San Francisco. Quick, move out here. You have two choices. You can get your gold by going out and like taking a pan, digging up dirt, mucking around, like getting dirty and wet and cold and dysentery and losing a leg to frostbite. Or you can just get a shit ton of gold for $7. And then, but, but we're not going to be allowed to sell gold until five years from now. Like, you didn't make your money by mining the gold. You made your money by having the gold early. Mm, okay, I see what you're saying. Like, it was, like, I think they're conflating the fact that it was a good investment with the fact that it was, like, a worthwhile endeavor okay. to mine it, you know, because mining it now is worth infinitely less money than it was back when bitcoins were worth infinitely less. Right. I mean, either you imagine that this is going to continue apace, right? Like forever. Yeah. We're going to keep going on the same cost curve, at which point just buy the bitcoins with the money you were going to, you know? Yeah. Like there's a fractional difference there between. You know, spending thousands and thousands of dollars on the coins and spending thousands and thousands of dollars on your six GPU motherboard thing. I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, I think if you went to most people and said, why don't you just buy seven Bitcoins? They'd be like, that's a crazy investment. And those things are going to go down in value. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. It's the fact that it's like a limitless supply, I think, is what makes people weird about it. Yeah. Like you invest the money up front and then you can make them forever. But it's not really designed that way. You can't really make that many. Right, unless you... And there are fixed costs to making them too. Hmm. It's now, pretty- the thing I read this week, which was really interesting, was the new idea for... Um, monetizing free apps and games did you see that yeah yeah we have this in our show notes tell me more about this we do oh cool so yeah this is the idea that you would embed a plugin um there's a company that made one and that works with um unity i think it's called the the big gaming platform yeah and a lot of the small indie houses are using yep um and basically in addition to running your game and doing all the like, you know, fancy graphics and everything, it's also mining bitcoins in the background. And, 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 and you know, if you have a really popular game, I can imagine you getting enough. It's a way to you know. So basically, at that point, Bitcoin becomes a chance to monetize. You know extra cycles on someone's machine yeah although i i really question one i question whether apple's gonna oh apple will never allow this but also is there really such a thing as an extra cycle on a mobile device well yes can you do useful work without seriously impacting battery life well that's the thing yes i was gonna say yes absent battery issues but i i mean People who play free games are willing to do... I mean, they value a lot of things very asymmetrically. <laughs> you know, if you're willing to watch, like, a shit ton of ads to play a game for a minute in line, you know, maybe you're also willing to, you know... I know a lot of Android people who have their phone plugged in all day. 
That's true. Like, maybe they'll let it just do that. Mm-hmm. It's better than paying the buck for the game, right? Yeah. Anything's better than paying a buck for a game. That's true. I I would spend that dollar on other things. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well. I don't know. I mean, it's the first interesting thing I've seen in a while trying to do this freemium model, or I guess not freemium, just the free app model. Yeah. I just really want, I mean, like when, because I, I was aware of Bitcoin when it first came out and just wrote it off. And I'm just a little shocked that it's had the staying power to be around five years later. Yeah. Um, and I, and basically none of the people involved with Bitcoin are people I want to be involved with. And I kind of wonder when, if that'll change. Um, you're saying, is it gotten to a point where we're going to like kill off the cowboys and pave it and turn it into a strip mall? Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a good chance of that, hmm. but the question still is what do you want to, what kind of a strip mall do you want to turn it into? Cause you can't turn it into a currency. Right. You can maybe turn it into a payment gateway. But at that point, why not? I mean, we have an ACH system and credit cards. Like, obviously, Square decided it was much easier to deal with, with things that way. Right. I mean, at this point, the only people that our existing financial system isn't working for, well, not the only people, but the primary people are people who are trying to do things that aren't legal. Right. The people who have money and the current system is not working for. Or at least, the yeah, the, the problems that Bitcoin solves. Like, there are a lot yeah. of issues with our system, but... Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's yeah. interesting. It's hard to make a business model for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless you're so correct. Yeah, or the new assassination one. Yeah, what was this? I, is this in our general list? Uh, I didn't put it in. It's the same idea as Silk Road, sort of. Well, it's a similar idea, but it's a. Um, they put bounties on the heads of famous people, and people contribute bitcoins to that assassination anonymously, and then. If you kill that person, I guess you get the money. Um, mm-hmm. The creator states that his goal is to make it so dangerous to run for office that no one will, and it'll change the world. Again, mm-hmm. not the kind of people you necessarily want to throw your weight in with. No, but, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. And, and tellingly, of course, currently the highest bounty is Ben Bernanke. I love it. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it'll be interesting to revisit Bitcoin in five years if it's become legitimate or if it's fallen apart or who knows. Yeah, I don't know. And it would be interesting if we ever found out who created it. I guess. Or if we found a slide deck from the NSA about creating Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, so any of this 3d scanning news blow your mind? Um, the one, the only one that blew my mind was this Atlantic article, <laughs> which, um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, they have sort of tiny amounts of actual data to back this up, but, um, essentially 
they have the like I don't know year end report or something from Stratasys, which is and they're like your neighbors. Yeah, right there in Minneapolis somewhere. They make three D printers and they make they buy three D printer companies for a living. <laughs> um, so they make their three D systems, which make the big like dishwasher sized 3d printers you see on the desks of everybody at like those microsoft um like tours and then they bought object which are the ones who make the like drafting table like open top meat cooler sized printers that you see in all those uh tours of microsoft and stuff right and then they bought makerbot just the ones you actually see people you know with. And what was interesting was they according to this Atlantic article, they that company total among all of those, you know, various price tiers and everything is selling two thousand three D printers a month. Um and and is that a big number or a small number? It doesn't seem big. <laughs> I mean, less than 5,000 printers a year. Or, sorry, 6,000 printers a year. Uh, wait, one of those numbers didn't make sense. 6,000. They're selling yeah. 500 a month. Wait, yeah. See, this is where their research is sort of a little wrong here. Oh, no. So in six weeks, they sold 6,000 printers. Okay, yeah. Oh, no. What they're saying is... Last quarter, which included MakerBot sales for part of the uh, quarter, yeah, they yeah, sold yeah. six thousand. So they're on okay. track to sell, you know, twenty four thousand a year. Yeah, maybe a bit more than that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't seem like a lot, does it? To you? Um, I, I, I don't. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot if you need to like run a company, but it sounds like a lot in terms of who I think about buying 3D printers. Hmm. I don't know. I guess didn't know I was that special. You are. You're very special. You're a unique butterfly. There's only 24,000 people a year like you. I know, right? That's pretty good. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. That seem, It's a nascent market, obviously, but uh, I don't think it's that negative. The uh, Atlantic article... The, I mean, the article's titled Almost No One Buys 3D Printers, um, yeah. to which I would respond, well, almost no one needs 3D printers right now, and that's what we're still trying to figure out. Right. Um, it's not to say that, like, it's a doomed technology. No, but I'm not sure. I don't know how many... I mean, I sort of assumed that with MakerBot we were kind of uh, the point of, say... You know the Apple II, in the no, and we're definitely not anywhere no. near that. I mean, because you bought an Apple II for a reason, right? Like you bought an Apple II to word process or to play games, or no, I mean to play games. But you bought one because you know it was going to be the new thing, and the schools bought them because you could like use them to teach things. Mm. And you know it's the same thing. I mean, they're putting MakerBots in schools now. But obviously not a lot of them. I don't know. 
I think it just it goes back to like there's no there's no there there yet. Right. And I'm not sure what that's going to be. I'm not sure there is something. It seems like someone would have just randomly stumbled upon it by now. Yeah, I would say give it another few years. Yeah. Um, things like better 3D scanners and better software are going to help. Um, yeah. And we're starting to see that. I mean, one of the other, other links in our show notes is to a 3D scanner from a company called 3D Systems. It's a... Um, $400 unit that uses lasers and a camera to capture 3D objects by sort of waving this thing around. Um, but $400 is pretty reasonable. MakerBot has their turntable digitizer coming. And mm-hmm. Microsoft this week showed off software for doing really simple 3D object creation and editing for their new Windows-based 3D printing. Yeah. So I think it's coming on fast. I mean, the, you know... When did you get your MakerBot? Was that two years ago? 18 months yeah. ago? Something like yeah, that. about that. You know, the amount of change from you getting a box of balsa wood to what you can get today for the same price, you know. Yeah. It's pretty dramatic. You know, software from major vendors, fully assembled, robust devices. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it seems like the hardware is sort of solidifying pretty quickly but not the I don't know I guess yeah the industry seemed more further along in my until I read this like I don't I figured everyone else had found a use for theirs and I was the one who just had it sitting around collecting dust but it sounds like collectively no one's found a use for them yet (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Well, I certainly haven't had a lot of instances in my life yet where I said, boy, I wish I had a 3D printer. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm glad I didn't buy one. Mm, me too. <laughs> um, what else you got? Let's see. Man, 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 man. Amazon is doing virtual desktops. I actually thought this was pretty interesting. It sort of goes along with um, this article from Brenda Nike. And I just see the domain. Yeah, Brendan. Brendan Ike. Yeah, I think so. Um, oh, except we can't load it because YouTube is down right now. Um, in any case, Amazon at their AWS conference this week announced, or last week, announced um, virtualized desktops sort of along the lines of what you used to buy from was Citrix. Was Citrix the big people in this space? The I don't idea, know anyone who's in this space. Uh, the idea being like uh, you have one really big server in your data center that runs lots of Windows machines, but it's actually only one computer. And mm-hmm. people at their desktops use a sort of thin client. It was Cisco, I guess, did the whole thin client thing. Uh, Citrix as well. Um, so... People don't have actual computers on their desks. They just have a, ter- a basically a terminal that can expect to the terminal server that's running Windows. Um, this has been around for ages. This is, you know, a lot of people in this space in the enterprise, but Amazon's now pushing into it using their EC2 Amazon Web Services infrastructure and then pairing it with things like their Kindle tablets, um, mostly targeting, I think, sort of... Um, 
road warriors, um, people who need to travel a lot on business, need a way to get into a secure enterprise system that's running the licenses for the software they need and who don't want to travel with a laptop or who for security purposes shouldn't be traveling with any information. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. I, I mean, it seems like an, a logical next step for them. Um, they've sort of built this infrastructure which can do these sorts of things. Yeah. How does it I mean? Does it work? I would be curious to uh, like hear how good it is over an internet connection. I imagine for the types of purposes they're looking at, it's pretty decent. I mean, when I remote desktop into, you know, your Mac mini, it's sort of fine. And that's mostly constrained by your upstream bandwidth. Uh, Fine for like typing. Yeah, I would, I would imagine. You'd use Microsoft Word on there? Well, there's, I mean, I don't, I haven't looked at what they're doing from a technology perspective, but there's a lot of things that you can do to make a remote desktop connection feel faster than it actually is in terms of how you update the screen or in terms of having local drawing that's then synchronized. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how they're doing that. Some of this is, I mean, they just had that whole thing with Grid too. Right. Which does help them some because they can do the fast compression right off the gpu on the grid and um that actually ties into this article from brendan ike which was um the orb orbex.js um and it, it basically was showing um using 3d applications in the browser running on amazon cloud using their gpu accelerated instances yeah um Unfortunately, this this link isn't very useful right now because of of YouTube being down. But um, anyways, there's cool stuff happening in this space. Yeah. Um, It seems a little bit magical because, like you, I sort of assume that bandwidth constraints are far too severe to make this work. But Yeah, I mean, it may be. We're getting there. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to play around with it and, and feel it, see how it works. But, yeah. Um, I see you've added a post on our H.265 discussion here. I didn't see that one. Um, uh, that's the what original. Was, what was this story on H.265 this week? Oh, so EOS HD um, did sort of a pretty fact-light Post about H.265. Um, and the reporting was all based on this other post, um, which is the one I included here, which is cinemartin.com. They've made an H.265 encoder for Windows, um, which I, since it also supports ProRes, I imagine is a Windows FFmpeg something. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I mean the argument. I mean the 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 way it was phrased on the USHD was basically that H two six five is a pantheon. It'll take your ProRes four 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 and convert it to something that's identical for one percent of the file size. Um, which you know isn't true (laughs) right (laughs) i mean not to say that it's not true but it's you know it's not true 
Um, I mean, among other things, ProRes four 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 has an extra four, which means a quarter of the bandwidth you're talking about is an alpha channel, which you threw away, right? Um, Etc. But I mean, and I, also, I wonder if they. I don't see any. I mean, so this is the thing. There's very. There's not a lot of reporting here, and sometimes he says four four four, and sometimes he says four 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 four, but. The funny thing about ProRes four 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 is that the single largest channel is the alpha channel. Why is that? Did you know that? Because no. they don't compress it. Oh. The alpha channel is actually uncompressed in most four 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 files because uh, you don't want um, edge tearing and stuff. Huh. I didn't know that. I mean, they, they basically, at least in terms of the shot they're working with, they picked the the best possible thing that you could do for H.265, which is a shot with basically no dynamic range. Right, um, so it's log footage. Right, it's log footage. The codec can throw out tons of stuff, um, and they only did their comparison on sort of visual comparison. Yeah. And even then, I don't think their 100% crops look identical, but... Um, yeah, no, they're they're two hundred. Like they have a little two hundred percent at the bottom, and they say it's too little to be noticeable. But um, that's because they're side by side, right? <laughs> um, they're they're definitely noticeable. Yeah. What I what I found interesting about it was this is um, it's great to see how wonderfully H two six five degrades. That's the only thing I got out of this. Yeah. Was like, because there's a lot different. I mean, if you throw these two clips on top of each other and do like a signal to like a PSNR or something, you'll see a lot of differences. What's interesting is it's not there, you know, it's close enough visually. Yeah. But I mean, the other thing, I mean, I don't know, I would love to actually, you know, they do these things and they do they have the original pros here? You can, you can download it. Um, I don't know. If I want to. If this go- if this came to fisticuffs, I would download this ProRes file and encode it in H two six four two, and I'm willing to bet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, if nothing else, the like the performance that they're shooting for with H two six five is twice as good as H two six four. Yeah. So, if you wrote an article that said H two six four is only two percent of the file size of ProRes four 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 four, um. You know, at that point, there's not a lot. Of, you know, it doesn't sound like a great win then. Right. Like, wow, we got one percent more. Right. I mean, uh-huh. yeah. I don't think neither either of us, neither of us doubts that H two sixty five is substantially better. No, it's roughly twice as good. The comparison here is just sort of silly because even if even if it was visually lossless, which is not, and even if you didn't need all of the stuff that isn't immediately visually perceptible like all of the like the dynamic range you supposedly wanted by shooting it wrong right um but you know you're not going to edit h265 by choice at this point no and i i don't know i mean it's an interesting thing because um some of the work we've been doing and in just talking to customers there is this split because with an app like final cut x you can credibly edit h264 um 
and you start to have to weigh the benefits and the costs of editing native H.264 versus converting everything to ProRes and cutting in ProRes. Right. Um, and I guess, and, and I have to question my own preconceptions and my own sort of neckbeardiness on that because I would say, well, go to ProRes, rah, 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 rah. And, and, you know, I don't know, is, you know, what the long term a few years out looks like for that. Yeah, I mean, my assumption is the long term looks similar to what the long term for MPEG-2 is, which is right about the time it becomes universally acceptable to use it as an edit codec, we will stop using it as an edit codec mm-hmm. and move on to, <laughs> you know, at that point we moved on to H.264 and then went back to purgatory. And I imagine, you know, in a year when it's like rock solid, anyone has a machine that can cut H.264, you will never get H.264 deliverables anymore. You'll get H.265. Right. Well, and, and, I, and I think the trade-off with H.264 is that, you know, it's always going to be more CPU intensive to decode H.264 than ProRes. Um, and you can take advantage of hardware decoders, but as we want to do more and more in our edit, um, you know, with multiple streams and with um, more complex effects and more interesting sort of um, the, the types of effects we're seeing in After Effects nowadays and things like that, um, you know, you ramp up the CPU requirements as well. And so you have to make that choice is, do I want to spend my limited resources decoding my video or do I want to spend them on editing, you know, on, on effects or on other things? Right. But I mean, the flip side of that is if you're trying to, you know, the thing that's hard is multiple streams, but that's also the thing that's hard with, you know, ProRes. If you're I.O. bound, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, you know, if you've got PCI, SSDs, and, right, you know. But you still don't have a ton of space internally on one of those. So, yeah, The answer is to buy a new Mac Pro. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Let's hope so. And it's totally going to ship. They're, totally, they, they're done. They have them and everything. Yeah, they're just, they're they have a whole factory full of robots that makes them. Yeah, they're just making enough because everyone's going to None of that was Cinema 4D. It's all real. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, they built a whole factory here in the U.S. Are you going to line up outside the Apple store to get yours? <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> they're going to have them in the Apple store. That's funny. Yeah. And your 30-inch cinema. Or yeah, and then I'm just going to carry them home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Through the tenderloin. Yeah. Uh, I'll get someone to help me. Just one of those nice people on the street. Um, we both bought coins. Last thing, last topic before chatter. Yeah. You, you bought one of these. Okay, but we didn't buy them. Well, we gave them money. Yeah, let's be realistic here. We did my version of buying things, which is you give them one money and then hope... And then forget about it. But never ask, but hope that yeah. they send it. Yeah. I wonder when my espresso machine's coming. It's not. They were going to ship in September. Mm. So, coin, is this a real thing? I mean, it's got a Lonely Sandwich video. Yeah. That's... Um, it's, a, it's a card. It is it's a like card. A, it's like a credit card, but it's all your credit cards. It's all of my credit card. How, yes. does, how does it work? I don't know, Colin. How does it work? I actually don't know. How do you change the magnetic strip dynamically? I suppose they uh, probably don't actually have a strip. They have just a single point. And yeah, I don't know how they do that. Um, 
so anyways, coin is a credit card sized credit card type thing that has a chip and Bluetooth low energy and a little screen and a little button and it talks to your smartphone and it comes with a little card swiper. And so you take your card and you swipe it in the card swiper and then you take pictures of your card and your the app transfers all that information, except the pictures, to the coin card. You can store up to eight credit cards or any type of other Meg strip card. Only eight? Uh, you can store up to eight on the on the coin and then swap them from the app as well. Ugh, okay. Um, and then you use the button on the coin to select which card you're using. So if you're out and you want to buy some groceries, you set it to a personal card, and then you want to buy lunch, you press the button and you select your business card, and um, same card charges to different accounts. It's an interesting approach. Um, yes. I. It'll be very... I mean... I bought one because it's kind of cool. I'm curious to see how it works. It'll be interesting to see how retailers react. Well, it's going to work for places like the grocery store where you swipe your own card. Yeah. Um, I suspect it will be sort of disaster prone when buying, when sticking it in a little folio at the restaurant. Right. If for no other reason, then how often is the weight person going to push the button when taking the card <laughs> especially once people start to realize what it is in like in right. the bay area and yeah this is so cool let me hit the button oh which one was it on yeah, yeah. um it'll be also also be interesting they say they say that uh you can only add your own cards but i'm not clear if that's a technical limitation or just a we would frown on you using it to skim cards. Well, I mean, I think, yeah. I'm assuming what that means is that they you have to have the physical card. Yeah, you, but you, see, you have to be able to scan it, you have to be able to photograph right. it. But, right, um, you know. At which point, whatever, I don't care. I mean, it's not a security problem at that point. Right, it just, you know, lowers the barrier to entry. Like, it's now for $50, you can get a credit card skimming device that makes a new card for you um and you can buy it on the web from a legitimate company so yeah but i mean it also wouldn't be hard for them to do a quick little dial home too that's true yeah you know i mean you're doing this on your phone which is an internet connection so just hash the thing do a one-way hash of the credit card number and upload it and then if the credit card ever gets stolen the credit card company can say, hey, was this done by you? And you hash the credit card number one way, and you go, oh, yeah, it was this guy. Sure. Done. They go to jail. That's true. Um, I also... I mean, credit cards are designed to be insecure, so I don't really give a shit. Like, that's their own fault. Yeah. God, I was going to... Ah, man. I actually may... I started listening to our podcast for some weird reason. I don't know why. Um... But I actually made a conscious decision to not swear this week. But yeah, you've been swearing critic, more than usual this week. I think. Have I? Yeah. I don't think I swore at all. You've sworn a number of times. Oh man! Ugh. Never mind. Next week, I'll remind Someday. you. Someday. Can I'll we get, get a, a beeper? I want a beep button. Um. Yeah, she works in the desk next to you. Okay, let's do that. Um. So, you know. 
I don't carry that many credit cards. I don't. Do, are you one of these people with a whole bunch of cards? You have like a business card, a work. Card, yeah, business. Or? I mean, that's the problem with having a business is you have a few. Yeah. I don't know. Do a quick count. I mean, my problem is that lately the cards I've been getting have been um, uh, either barcode or you know some other sort of optical thing because people are using iPads and stuff. Um, hmm. So it's the you know like. Even to get into oh, so you're, so you're saying not credit cards here, other things. Right, like the the cards in my wallet that are credit card shaped. Um, you know, my Y membership card is a barcode. My wait, rock wait what? Yeah, your wine membership. Why the the Y oh, W C? Okay, <laughs> okay, I'm um, with you now. The rock climbing gym. I think that's also a barcode or a QR code or something. Um, you know, so that. I've got a couple others in there that are, are like that. I just used a Target gift card the other day, and it was the same the same deal. It was a barcode. Yeah. Um, but you know, I do carry a business card and a personal card, and um, yeah, doing a quick count here, it looks like I have ten credit cards in my wallet. Okay. So I would, I mean, and I imagine that here's the. So I kind of thought about this a little bit. And I imagine I won't be able to actually get rid of any of these. Because you probably have about a 50% chance of getting asked to see the card. Um, but what you can do is get a wallet with fewer of these little dividers. Sure. And, like, stick all the cards in one big hole somewhere and get rid of, like... Because I have, like, one, two, three... Like, in the middle of my wallet, I have six little pieces of leather to keep all my cards separate. Which has to add a good quarter of an inch to my wallet, mm-hmm. and both of the side panels have that too. And like my wallet's huge; it's like it's an inch and a half thick. Hmm. I gotta sit on it every day. That's good. So happen. I'd like to get rid of that. Now, what do you, what do you think the chances are that you can actually sit on one of these coins? <laughs> That's the better question. Yeah. Um, so I'm. Yeah, this is going to be one of those like hard won lessons in uh, industrial design. I suspect. Yeah. For them. So in my wallet, I have three credit cards right now. Wow. Um, and that's uh, my... Well, part of it's because I do almost all my banking through U.S. Bank, and so my one credit card is actually able to access my checking and my savings and my credit card when I go to an ATM or something. So I don't have to carry it in separate ATM, and it's also a credit card. Um, if I can do that. And then a business card and then just sort of a backup emergency card if something goes wrong with that one account. I've got two um, medical cards that don't have any technology. They're just numbers, Um, which, again, seems silly that I can't just carry a photo of those, but presumably. I have a BART card. Um, That's MagStrip, but I don't think you want to put a coin through one of those because they need to they bend it yeah 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 uh card to go card is rfid can't do yeah. that uh science museum membership historical society gym and y are all barcodes Ugh. and then my license and my university id are both well barcodes but i don't think you want to stop carrying your license yeah i mean you can imagine a future where they like actually get good at this you know, they take this pile of money that we've given them, no strings attached, and they start working on version two and just skip shipping version one because, you know, why? Um, and, like, you know, put a big chunk of e ink on there somewhere. Yep. 
And then like, oh yeah, you can also like display a QR code or a barcode or you know. I think there was a project a black at and one white point. picture of your driver's license. There was a project at one point to do that, but I think it turned out to be vaporware. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just an amateur mistake, not asking for the money up front. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this uh, I backed it because it's interesting, um, and if it happens, that'd be cool. Um, it, it would be nice, but we'll see. I mean, I guess the flip side is that, from a financial perspective, it's also a little crazy that we can't have some sort of intermediary or something i mean i guess is that sort of what simple was trying to do or has has there been at some point one a service that would like you would swipe this one card and then after the fact to decide which accounts to charge things against no but they should do that i feel like that existed oh my god we should do that that's our new business because i mean you could pretty easily verify that the funds existed somewhere right and then just sort of proxy all the requests. Yeah. I'd be more into that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And then you could even set it up based on like rules. Like every time I go to Starbucks, charge my personal card and don't bug me again about it. Yeah. Or if I'm at the every ATM, time it I should come out of my checking account or. Wow. Well, ATM can't work. Why? Because you'd have to pay fees every time. You couldn't be an in. You couldn't be a that bank's ATM card if you were proxying through a third party card number. Hmm. But you could. I mean, um, yeah. But it'd be no no worse than being in a credit union or something. Yeah. You make a deal with MoneyPass or someone. Yeah, there'd be. I mean, there are other issues with like the the clearance fees and stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose, because you're basically creating two transactions. Yeah. I don't know, though. I mean, it's something the Visa network could do. Right. But it might not be something... Yeah, let's just disrupt. I mean, I I can certainly see how we would make an After Effects video of the process. That's true. And if we ask for 50 bucks a card... Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll get started. You call okay. up uh, with cigar. Oh, I was going to call up. Uh, I was just going to go right for the VC. Oh, okay. That works too. Um, I, bought some new, I bought some new dress shirts. <laughs> what is your chatter this week? My chatter is a video. Like a poignant um, look at a guy and his angst. Gonna be late for a meeting. Um, very upset about this. Yeah. Um, no. So this is a uh, I don't know a couple years ago going to the store. You might remember. If you don't remember it, you'll remember it once you see this one. This is the follow up to it. Late for a meeting. Um, by David Lewandowski. Um, check it out. It's funny. Um. I have a vague recollection that like the original one was created to exploit a bug or something like. No, I don't know. I think no. I think it was just like uh, making fun of people's um, demo videos on Vimeo. Huh. Okay. I mean, that's how I always read it. Was like, oh, look at I made this great demo 
check it out. Check out my camera demo or check out my thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's good. Late for meeting. Cool. Check it out. My chatter this week is the Psyche. Psyche. Psyche? I always call it Psyche. The Psyche Digital SE39UY04 39-inch 4K Ultra HD 120 hertz LED TV. It's $520. Yeah. Why aren't people buying this? Like, I mean, why aren't the people like you and me buying this? Uh, because we don't have a single thing in 4K that we are dying to watch. Right, but just for desktop real estate. Oh, I didn't even think. Oh, um, I mean, it's a well, 4K because the monitor. pixel density is tiny. Is actually not very good on that. And 40 inches is a big TV. I guess. I mean, when your face is in it. What's the pixel density on this? I didn't even... Wait, they actually have a shot of that. I didn't even think about doing that. Hold on. I'm going to ask the pixel density calculator. Uh, oh, here's a screenshot of a dude with, like... He's got three browser windows open on one screen. Right, and they're probably, like, all, you know, full width. Yeah. Okay, so it's 112 PPI. What's What's the 27-inch cinema? I'm checking now. What's my vertical res? Like 1,200? Isn't it 1,600 by 1,200? 12, 12, yeah, 1,600 by 1,200 is my screen. 2,600 by 1,200. Yeah? So the... No, that can't be right. That's not right. What? Is, hi. I'm sure. We're both staring at them. You just start I'm not talking. actually looking at the thing. Twenty five sixty by fourteen forty. Okay. And diagonal size is twenty seven. Yes. PPI. This uh, monitor is the same PPI as a twenty seven inch. P- our twenty seven oh. inch PPI is one hundred eight PPI. So it's actually more. Yeah. Um, Colin. Yeah. I want one of these. Yeah, okay. Now, see, I was just so confused because I sent you the link the other day and you were like, eh, whatever. Yeah, you didn't say anything. You just said, like, oh, look, you can watch Netflix streaming 720 even worse. <laughs> but I didn't think of that. Yeah. Oh. Does it have, like, what's the connector? It's got HDMI for 4K. It's got, like, whatever the, the 4K HDMI is. It's got that one. Oh my god. That's perfect. It might be worth trying. I mean, neither of us has a device that'll drive it, but if I get a new uh, laptop. My MacBook Air won't? My 11 inch? No, only the new Uh, MacBooks, the 13 and 15 Retina as well. That's a joke, but yeah. That's fine. But your, your Mac Pro will. My new Mac Pro. Right. My notional Mac Pro. It'll drive three of these. So you put the Apple one in the middle, <laughs> and then you put did the you, two crappy ones on either side. Did you notice the... Uh, I don't know if you looked at any of the screenshots here. There's a screenshot of it displaying white. <laughs> That's part of why it's so cheap. Right. It's not exactly an even wash of... of You're not going to use this for critical color grading. No. But... 
Very easy for any. I mean, I wouldn't really. I mean, that would be annoying enough by my face. I think, but I don't know, man. Maybe it's pretty big. It is. I mean, it, what it lacks in quality, it makes up for in quantity. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Wow. Apple should make one of those for uh, six. I'd give them seven hundred bucks for it. <laughs> Yeah, but it has to have an IPS screen and, you know. Right, fix all the problems. Yeah. Charge 100 bucks a month. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Make it up in volume. I mean, it's not, they can't sell a lot of them. Right, just take your, your Retina iPad mini screens and slice them a little bigger. Mm-hmm. No, I, uh, if I had a computer that would run this, I would be very tempted, but. Yeah, me too. Because then you could, I mean, I could leave my laptop, like, lid closed all the time. At one big display. I, I think you would have to if you were driving that display. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm, interesting. And so that'll totally work with the Mac, the new Mac Pro, the just the HDMI port on yeah, the absolutely, back. Absolutely, absolutely. Or huh. with the you know Display Port to HDMI converters, because. But yeah, either way. Does. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. We will report back if we end up with one of these in our lives. Yes. Um, the problem is it's too small for a monitor. <laughs> what do you mean? Because they can get two of them. <laughs> <laughs> they sell a bigger one. Yeah, but then it's a pixel density. It gets too low. Right. I thought we were going to 8K. Well, I mean, you could get... I guess you can't run four of these off a of Mac Pro. Damn limited computer. You run three. You'd run three, I'd, but I'd want three anyways, because otherwise you have the you don't want the stripe in the middle. That's the problem with running two monitors, right? But three, you have the center console and then the two peripheral. No, that's what I'm saying. I think you get the that's... Apple one for the middle. Oh, but, you know, the... no, I can't do that because then when you move a window, like oh, as you're, yeah. PC, you see the color shift. Yeah, I used to um, at the university. That's... I always ran a, like a 27 inch with then like a Dell you know 27 inch as well and it was pretty nasty yeah okay you're just gonna have to get three of the apple ones yeah they better be working on that that's 10 grand in monitor but you know whatever all right we'll mm. talk to you next week with your 4k monitor mm, yeah i might get one <laughs> i know oh damn it i'll let you know okay Ta-ta.